engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Atlanta's Evening News here on WSB, and I'm Eric Erickson. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800, WSB-TALK. Uh, we got to begin going almost hyper-local, if you will, uh, very, very local. In Midtown Atlanta, they are opening this weekend the largest Whole Foods grocery store in the southeast. Now, if you've never been to Whole Foods, it's very interesting. Only 11% of Amazon Prime members have ever been to a Whole Foods. They get discounts, 10% discounts by going because Amazon bought Whole Foods. I have been to one maybe twice in my life. I do not have one anywhere near me. There are several in the in the metro area, though. There's one on West Paces Ferry. There's now this one in Midtown and several others. That they're in, uh, basically, they're in highly liberal areas that are very, very wealthy. Uh, that is the demographic of Whole Foods. In fact, uh, Whole Foods consumers, you can essentially draw a two-mile radius around any Whole Foods, and those are some of the most uh, democratic areas in the country in terms of white people. Uh, Whole Foods are typically in white progressive neighborhoods. Uh, so you've got the one on, on West Paces right across from the St. Regis Hotel and Chops there. You've got this one now opening on, in Midtown, and I, I drive past it on the way home from the office. So it, it, that in and of itself is relevant news in, in that Amazon is investing in growing out Whole Foods. But what's really interesting here is this coincides with an announcement from Amazon that they're dropping prices on Whole Foods. Now, you're probably wondering why on earth does this have anything to do with me because uh, you don't go to Whole Foods and, and well, just follow along with me here. This is very, very, very interesting. Over the last year, because of uh, hurricane, rain, droughts, fires and whatnot, the prices of produce in the country have gone up pretty dramatically. And as the prices have come back down, grocery stores across the country have kept prices high. So they've increased their profit margin on vegetables. Well, Amazon is trying to get people to come into Whole Foods because the the thing you need to understand about Whole Foods, even if you don't shop there, is that the people who go to Whole Foods, they go there in part, they don't want to admit it, but th there is a large part of the American public that psychologically believes if they're paying $5 for a pork chop instead of $3 for a pork chop, the $5 pork chop is probably of higher quality. We find this over and over. It's very, very much related in common across the board to the American psyche when it comes to consumer shopping habits. If you have something that's of high price and something that's of low price, a lot of consumers will go for the high price thinking it must be a better quality. And in fact, it is inarguable that Whole Foods, by and large, has had high prices and very good quality. Their their meats have been very good quality. Their vegetables, very good quality. At Whole Foods, they're somewhat cyclical in the vegetables they display because they want things to be freshest. So if something is out of season, you may not be able to find as much of it at Whole Foods unless they can import it in from a different country from the Southern Hemisphere where it's in season at that time. Uh, and they, but they don't do it in mass like your typical grocery store. Well, Kroger Publix uh, out Albertsons, other grocery store chains around the country, Harris Teeter, they've been giving Whole Foods a run for their money in increasing the quality of product offering. So if you go to a Kroger or Publix, for example, uh, you're more likely now to find a wider selection uh, and a higher quality produce 
and a wider, better selection of meats, often more organic meats and more organic vegetables. Kroger in particular has been pushing this very, very high in areas where there is a Whole Foods and a Kroger. You can go into a Kroger and find expanded organic sections, expanded uh, non-GMO sections, expanded all that stuff. Well, Whole Foods lowering its prices has upset some of its shoppers because the implication for Whole remember, Whole Foods typically built in highly progressive areas, Midtown Atlanta, for God's sake, you, you can't get more progressive than that. Well, Whole Foods shoppers seeing a reduction in the prices are wondering if Whole Foods is sticking it to farmers. Are they forcing farmers to cut their prices? And are they, by shopping at Whole Foods and buying this produce, are they, in fact, making life hard for farmers? On top of that, are they cutting prices by getting inferior quality food? See, there's this underlying suspicion of Amazon buying Whole Foods, just as there is this growing underlying suspicion of Fortune 500 companies everywhere. Amazon, huge company run by Jeff Bezos. At Amazon, on the Amazon store, if you buy a product, you may be getting a Chinese knockoff. And now people at Whole Foods are starting to wonder, are they are they cutting prices because they're giving us bad vegetables now? Are we getting inferior Honeycrisp apples at Whole Foods? And that's why the price is low. No, actually, there's something else to it. And I want to explain it to you and how it relates to you who doesn't even live 20 miles to the nearest Whole Foods. It's directly relevant to you as well. So as I mentioned at the beginning, over the last year, produce prices in the United States, vegetables and fruit have been higher because of series of natural disasters around the world, including in the United States. You've had the terrible fires in California. You've had hurricanes. We've had uh, torrential rain and flooding in parts of Central and South America and the United States as well. So prices have gone up and they've stayed high. And grocery store companies, which typically the margins in grocery store companies aren't that high, as the prices have begun to come back down, they've kept the prices high. And in keeping the prices high, they've been able to increase their margins. Well, as I mentioned, Whole Foods needs to bring in new customers. They've lowered their prices. They have a ton of Amazon Prime members. And yet Amazon's data, according to the New York Times, shows that only 11% of Amazon Prime shoppers have ever shopped at a Whole Foods. So they got a boost uh, foot traffic in the Whole Foods stores. Well, concurrent to that, the various other grocery stores, whether it's Albertsons, Harris Teeter, in our area, Kroger and Publix are the two big ones, even Sprouts and a couple other uh, grocery stores like that, Fresh Market, they're worried about Amazon and Whole Foods because Amazon is very notorious with the blessing of its shareholders of never making a profit. Now, think about that for a minute. Just, just consider that. You've got a bunch of shareholders for a major corporation in the United States, and those shareholders are very, very happy for the company to never turn a profit because they believe that if Amazon can grow so large 
Amazon through economies of scale can benefit them. So Amazon takes all of its profit and pours it back into Amazon, doesn't give it to shareholders, isn't reflected in uh, tax statements because they take all their leftover money and they pour it back into to scale, to computers, to technology, to infrastructure. They've now got airplanes. They've got their own trucking system. They've got huge distribution facilities all over the country. And they're potentially going to build out Whole Foods. So these other grocery stores have started innovating. They've improved the qualities of their meat while keeping costs low. They've improved the quality of their vegetables and their variety of vegetables and produce while trying to keep costs low. You know where your costs are going up in grocery stores, by the way, are in the interior aisle sections, the the boxed foods, your, your lean cuisines, your stofers, your, your canned soups, your uh, canned pasta sausage. Those prices are going up to offset the prices of the meat and vegetables that these grocery stores are trying to keep down to compete with Whole Foods because most people, when they go to Whole Foods, they're not looking for the canned spaghetti sauce. They're looking for the organic, naturally grown Roma tomatoes that have been dropped here by flying storks on their way to live for babies. That's what they want because they're going to make their uh, pasta sauce fresh and they're going to get their their free range herited pig breed whose name you can read on the sign when you decide to consume little Tommy, the, the 500 pound hog. Um, so all of these are to say that the free market works. And the reason we are being impacted by this in Atlanta, the reason that if you go to Whole Foods right now, you're seeing lower produce prices, the reason you're going to start seeing lower produce prices at these other grocery stores is because this competition works, because we have ample selection, because we have ample variety, because Amazon has decided it doesn't understand actual fixed retail-based uh, chains and Amazon wants to get good at it. Amazon is really good at selling stuff online. It's not really good at selling stuff at low margin in fixed retail locations, which is why it bought Whole Foods. It wanted to learn. And so we're all benefiting from this. So the moral of the story here is you have all of these Democrats out there right now complaining about capitalism. You have all these Democrats complaining the free market doesn't work. You have all these Democrats complaining that the free market is hurting people. And yet look what's happening. All of these grocery stores, because Amazon bought Whole Foods, all of these other grocery stores in your area are delivering you more organics, more non-GMO, better quality pork, beef, and poultry, better quality fruits, better quality vegetables, better quality and lower prices, all because of the American free market system. Not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides. Are you one of them? I am. My butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most, keeping your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My butterfly pillow is patented sleep technology. It elevates your head to where you need it. it, includes a place to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear, which is soft and comfortable, even if you stay in one position all night. The height of my butterfly pillow is even adjustable. Do you fall asleep to white noise or meditative sounds? Well, my butterfly pillow has a Bluetooth adapted night owl speakers, so you can listen to music sounds or even a smart TV while you're laying down. Listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Is it worth it? Yes, I think it is. It's become my napping pillow. Lay in bed, listen to music, listen to the call map that I talk to you about sometimes. It's a great, great, great pillow. Use code Eric at checkout at 
MyButterflyPillow.com. You'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental U.S. Again, go to MyButterflyPillow.com, enter code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout. You'll save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. Checkout code ERIC. Sleep, relax, lay down, enjoy some music in your ear, and have a comfortable pillow. The weather outside, wonderful today. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. There are growing rumors that Stacey Abrams is not going to run for the Senate against David Perdue. In fact, Teresa Tomlinson, she is the mayor of Columbus, Muskogee County. They've got a consolidated county down there with Columbus. Um, She is now looking at running. Uh, Chuck Schumer has met with both of them. Abrams continues to say she may run for president of the United States. No, I'm not kidding. Are, are you considering a run for the White House? When, you should jump in. I, I am thinking about it. I truly am. I think that the timing for me is first deciding about the Senate, because I do think you cannot run for an office unless you know that's the job you want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think you use offices as stepping stones. And so my first responsibility is to determine whether a Senate run is right for me. And then the next conversation for myself will be, if not the Senate, then what else? Okay, but that's a pretty quick timeline, though, on a decision. It it is. Well, I I think the the Senate decision is going to be pretty uh, short term. Mm -hmm. I intended to do it in March, but because of my book tour, I had to push it back. But I do want to make a decision this month. So let me tell you my thinking for why I think she wants to run for president instead of the Senate. Uh, because going into running for the president, she knows she's not going to win. Now, some of you are saying, what? Huh? Yeah, see, you can run for president. Take Mike Gravel, for example. Mike Gravel is, is an ancient American politician who's running for president and already saying he wants to win the debates. He doesn't want to win the White House. Abrams would be running in that way. If if Abrams were to run for the presidency or run for the Senate, there are a couple of calculations at play. First of all, is Abrams has made no secret at all of the fact that she actually wants to run for governor. She really wants to be governor. She does not want to be one of 100 senators. She wants to be one of one, an executive. If she runs for the Senate against David Perdue in 2020, and she were to win, if Abrams wins Georgia, that more likely than not also means that Donald Trump has lost Georgia in addition to David Perdue, that the state has flipped Democrat. And in addition to sending Abrams to the U.S. Senate, that would be sending a Democrat to the White House. If if Trump loses Georgia, he's he's done. And I don't think it's going to happen, by the way, but if he did, It'd be done. So you got two calculations here you got to pay attention to. If she wins, it probably means the Democrats have won overall, which means there's a Democrat president, which means in 2022 it works to Brian Kemp's advantage because the party out of power always does well in the midterms. That's a midterm. So that boosts the Republicans' chances here in Georgia, which means she would be in the Senate. She would have just gotten there. She would have to explain why after two years there she wants to run for governor. Uh, she would have all sorts of problems. If she loses against David Perdue, which is more likely, if she loses against David Perdue, well, then she's lost two statewide elections, at which point the Democrats have to look at her and say, you know what? You're really not the viable candidate we thought you were. 
for 2022. And then she's going to have a stiffer primary challenge to try to win the governorship against Brian Kemp. If she runs for president, though, she goes in knowing she's going to lose, but knowing she can keep her name ID up, be on stage, have an impact, and raise money for running for governor in 2022, using it as a fundraising opportunity. The phone number here is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I, I want to divert from just the, the raw political fight of the day into a topic. I, I've been meaning to talk about it all week and have just, we've had so much other stuff. Let, let me begin by playing this uh, audio from Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter and of Square. And for some reason, for a man who I guess is a billionaire, he loves to dress like a homeless person. Typically, a service like ours, our terms of service are a little bit hard to read and a little bit hard to follow and, and not necessarily the most customer-focused thing. So GDPR put um, a stake in the ground to at least bring out some, some elements that you had a lot more control over, and I think that's a net positive. So if there's more room for that, then, then, then yes, absolutely. Um, but we also... You know, there's not going to be any one party that's responsible for fixing this. So our terms of service are difficult to understand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe we need the government to get involved. And and that comes on the heels of Mark Zuckerberg, who sat down with George Stephanopoulos uh, to talk about government regulation of the Internet and in particular the social media company. So let's talk about the regulation, your, your call for regulation. As you know, it's been met with some skepticism in some corners. Some people see this as a smart tactic to block more dramatic action, like Elizabeth Warren's call to break up the company. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? I'm proud of the progress that we've made. There's a lot more to do. In each of these areas, um, there's a question of what decisions should be left to a private company to make, especially around things like speech and expression uh, for so many people around the world, and where should we have either industry or more government regulation? You know, after 2016, when we saw what Russia tried to do in interfering in the election, we've implemented a lot of different measures uh, to verify any advertiser who's running a political ad, um, to create an archive of all the political ads so anyone can see. But one of the things that's unclear is actually what is the definition of a political ad? All of the uh, laws primarily focus on a candidate and an election, but that's not primarily what we saw Russia trying to do. You know, what we saw them doing was uh, talking about divisive political issues. And the goal wasn't actually to advance the issue forward. It was just to rile people up and be divisive. You're already seeing the FCC push back fairly hard against this. Two commissioners, I think, saying, no, we don't want to get into the business of policing the First Amendment. Yeah, I don't think that that's what this is, though. Where I think it's, you can say that kind of any regulation around what someone says online is, is protected, but I think that's clearly not right today. The current laws around what is political advertising don't consider uh, discussing issues to be, um, to be political. You know, it's not clear to me that we want a private company to m be making that kind of a fundamental decision about, you know, what is political speech and how should that be uh, regulated. But that seems like something that there should be a more democratic process around. And, and how, how do you respond, though, to some who say, but wait a second, that's your responsibility. It's your platform. It's your company. I think setting the rules around political advertising is not a company's job. I mean, there's been plenty of rules in the past. It's just that at this point, um, they're not updated to the modern threats that we face. We need new rules. Why? Why do we need new rules? Now, 
Listen, I understand why Mark Zuckerberg is doing this, I think. A lot of media outlets outsource the growth of their platforms, of their websites, and of their news divisions to Facebook. And it turned out Facebook really wasn't interested in helping the New York Times grow its traffic. Facebook was interested in helping itself grow its traffic and helping its users connect to one another. The New York Times and others got very, very upset with Facebook for being a company that was looking out for its own interests, not their interests. And they've been running as many critical stories of Facebook as possible over the last year. On top of that, as Facebook has grown as fast as it has grown, it has, well, it, it, it's it's made some mistakes. And, and some of the things were things that were done when it was a small company were no big deal. But at a big company at scale, they don't work. And there have been security breaches and password problems. And its ad network is so robust that people have been taking advantage of it. And Facebook is to blame for what other people do on its platform. So I get why they're advancing this discussion right now saying, hey, yes, come regulate us because it's a way for them to shift to the federal government and say, hey, you know what? You do this so we can say we're just doing what the government told us to do as opposed to setting standards for themselves. But therein lies a larger societal problem that's being reflected in all of this, which is somewhat deeply ironic because the blame that Facebook is getting so much of right now is not because of things Facebook are doing, although there are some things Facebook has done they shouldn't have done or or they made mistakes on and they're getting blown up for, but a lot of what Facebook is getting attacked for right now is what you and I do on Facebook's platform, not what they do with their platform. And now essentially they're saying, hey, we want to be able to hide behind the government telling us what to do as opposed to us deciding what to do for ourselves. There, There's some there there. The problem we have right now is these companies, and it's not just them, it's, it's all the major tech companies out there dealing with these social media issues and how people use their platforms. They're not willing to take positions on their own. They want the government to tell them what to do because it gives them plausible deniability and, and protection and liability situations. For the government to be the one saying, hey, you do this. I mean, just take take Zuckerberg on, on political speech. That is what I think he, he's got some level of argument on and what is political speech and how should it be disclosed. Facebook came up with standards. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you want to place a, a political ad on Facebook, you have to go through a process now where you send Facebook your driver's license and passport uh, a copy of your passport to show that you're an American citizen. Then they physically FedEx to your house overnight a form with a serial number and give you a website where you have to go into and, and put the information in. And, and that uh, code has to go to the address that's listed on your driver's license. It's because of all the Russians and what they were doing in 2016. They want to make sure it's only Americans buying ads in America for American elections. But if I put up something promoting this radio show on Facebook and, and paid to sponsor it, or even my, my uh, weekly email uh, with a recipe, it gets flagged now as political, and i got to have a political disclaimer on it, even though it's not political. And it's just it, it's uh, Facebook working these kinks out. Google 
is in this as well because, for example, there's a story that Google is scrapping its artificial intelligence panel. Google set up an, an artificial intelligence committee to advise Google on how to form its regulations for artificial intelligence for its company products and, and projects. And Cole K. James, uh, K. Coles James, was on the board of this AI committee. She is the president of the Heritage Foundation. And progressive activists who work at Google were livid that the president of the Conservative Heritage Foundation is on the board of this or on this committee because they think she's a homophobic bigot for being in charge of heritage. And they didn't want her on there. In fact, several of them argued that that heritage should have no access to any of Google's platforms to give that company legitimacy. When you have Google employees wanting to shut out conservatives because they disagree with them on views, it gives rise to the conservative idea that, you know what, I, maybe they are tweaking their algorithm to hurt us. And I don't actually think Google's doing that, but I understand the people who think Google is. And I do think that there is a propensity for conservatives to be targeted on the platform. Uh, Dennis Prager site and others, uh, the pro-life movement constantly being harassed on YouTube and, and whatnot, demonetized because of complaints from progressives. But I think that's different from Google actively maliciously trying to hurt conservatives, which I don't think is happening. But all of these companies want to hide behind the government now because they're getting constant bad press. And seven out of 10 news articles about these social media companies are not actually about what the companies are doing. They're about what people are doing on their platforms. So the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, the, the, the far-left Antifa guys, all of these people. And the stories are about these people. And the companies get the blame. And the companies are tired of getting blamed because it's not really their problem. They open the doors to all comers. And idiots took advantage of it. Bad people took advantage of it. And it's making the companies look bad. I just have a real problem with us going down the road of saying, hey, you know what? We need the government to step in and, and regulate this stuff. I don't think you do. And I think you cause yourself more problems long term. Maybe instead all of us should recognize that when crazy person gets on Facebook and says something crazy, it's not Mark Zuckerberg's fault. It's the fault of the crazy person. Admit it. You think cybercrime is something that happens to other people. You may think that no one wants your data or that hackers can't grab your passwords or credit card details, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest and cheapest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why you need ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, or your tablet. And turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. You can safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that so many people have come to rely on. It's the rated number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect yourself online today and find out how to get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash E-R-I-C-K for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Well, my goodness, Rachel Dolezal, she's a blast from the past. She agreed to pay back almost $9,000 she allegedly collected through welfare fraud and do 1,200 hours of community service. Remember her, the, I guess what, she was the white woman who decided she was black? Yeah, 
Wow. All righty. When we come back at the top of the hour, Herman Cain has been nominated for the Federal Reserve. The media not taking it well. But, 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 but right now, David Clark. David Clark, you know David Clark. David Clark, state representative. Well, so speaking of Dolezal's, Greg Dolezal, no relation to Rachel. Greg Dolezal in the uh, state Senate had, uh, in his debate, he used marbles, I believe, as a demonstration during the fetal heartbeat legislation, and the left assumed he was using gumballs. And progressive activists have been sending members of the legislature gumballs to protest passage of fetal heartbeat, uh, targeting uh, David Clark with, with little cars that say, no seat is safe. Basically, we're coming to get you, David Clark. I mean, my goodness, David Clark, the guy just talk about testicular fortitude. He, he stood up to the left wing activist. He took on the Speaker of the House with a resolution calling on the Speaker to step down. Uh, the guy has no fear. And he got on social media yesterday with these gumballs, chewed up a bunch of them, and was popping bubbles in social media. And the left wing activists are furious with him. I mean, they sit him the gum. <laughs> what do you, do they expect him to waste the gum? Are these people who, I bet you they say they care about the environment, wasting gum? David Clark is not wasting gum. He's also fearless. I mean, testicular fortitude. It's just, it, it's impressive. Uh, good for David Clark mocking these people to some degree by, by chewing the gum they sent him and saying he's not scared of them. And even if he loses, he would have stood up for babies. And good for him taking a principled stand. We need more politicians like David Clark taking principled stands instead of poll-tested stands. When we come back, Herman Cain for the Federal Reserve. The media reacts, and Donald Trump does too. Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News, the second hour on WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Did you hear that in the newscast about the, the guy in Henry County who shot the two police officers? He had been in jail, uh, should not have been able to possess a gun, and yet had one. How is that possible? I mean, I, I, I hear all the time that... Uh, we, we need more gun laws, and if we have more gun laws, we will be safer. Well, here is a person clearly who has run afoul of gun laws and has access to a gun he was prohibited from having. The the law did not stop him. Uh, the law seems to encumber honest, uh, law-abiding people, but never seems to encumber the, uh, the, the, the people, the bad guys who want guns. Now, we need to move on. Herman Cain is being nominated for the Federal Reserve. Uh, President Trump, Jamie Dupree, sent me this audio of President Trump talking about nominating Herman Cain and Steve Moore for the Federal Reserve, this particularly about Herman. Are you sending Herman Cain to the Fed, sir? And are you looking for people who are I've recommended Herman Cain. He's a very uh, a terrific man, a terrific person. He's a friend of mine. Uh, I have recommended him highly for the Fed. I've uh, told my folks that that's the man, and we'll, uh, he's doing some pre-checking now, and uh, I would imagine he'd be in great shape. I find Herman to be an outstanding person, a truly outstanding individual. Um, I would think he would 
do very well there. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, people, even Mitt Romney was mocking Herman for 999 for running for president. And the media seems to be an absolute meltdown over Herman running for being appointed to the Federal Reserve. That all the president's nominating jokes for the Federal Reserve. I got to tell you guys, of all the president's nominees to the Federal Reserve, Herman is probably the most qualified. He has served on the board of directors in Nabisco, Whirlpool, Reader's Digest. Uh, but beyond that, Herman was actually on the Federal Reserve. He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He was the deputy chairman from 92 to 94, and he was the chairman from 95 to 96 of the Federal Reserve of Kansas City. Not not overall, but the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He was already there. He was on the Kemp Commission in the mid-90s on, on reducing the size and scope of the federal government and, and economic reform. He was a senior advisor, economic advisor to Bob Dole. He was the CEO, of course, the National Restaurant Association and the uh, CEO of, of Godfather's Pizza. He's He knows the Federal Reserve. He's been on the Federal Reserve. It's, it's very interesting to me to watch the media uh, attack, not just Herman, but also Steve Moore. Steve Moore, of course, a highly qualified and academic economist, uh, been at the Heritage Foundation, uh, the Club for Growth and whatnot. It's, it's just interesting to watch the media attack them because of the particular angle that they are using to attack both Herman and Steve Moore. The media attacks on Herman and Steve Moore and the Democratic attacks corresponding to them are that they are uh, somehow shallow celebrity nominees, which isn't true if you know the background of, of either one, as, as I laid out with Herman. But also that uh, somehow the president is trying to put people on the Federal Reserve who will bend the Federal Reserve in his direction. And that ultimately is the major grievance with the media when it comes to Herman and Steve Moore, that they would bend the Federal Reserve, the president would essentially be able to stack the Federal Reserve just like the Supreme Court and bend the Federal Reserve in his direction. Does the media not understand that's what every president does? That's what Barack Obama did. In fact, the New York Times ran stories during Barack Obama's tenure in office that uh, Barack Obama would finally be able to move beyond Reaganomics because he would be able to fill up the Federal Reserve with people who were opposed to Reaganomics, which the media treated derisively. The media was actually willing to applaud Barack Obama for charting a new course for the Federal Reserve by stacking it with people who shared his economic vision for the country. But now that Donald Trump is doing the same thing with Steve Moore and with uh, Herman Cain and with others, the media says, oh, this is the media pounces, I guess. Oh, this is terrible. We can't have this. We can't have the president putting these people on. And, and you know, the sad thing is that there are a lot of people uh, on the right as well who are criticizing the appointments because they've seen Steve Moore and, and uh, Herman Cain launch into defenses of the president, sometimes over things that people didn't think were defensible. And uh, they've decided that, oh, the president is putting these people in the Federal Reserve to be his yes men. And that's not true. And they're not going to be the president's yes men. They share the president's concerns about the direction of the Federal Reserve. They share the president's concerns about the economic vision there. They certainly share the president's concerns about Janet Yellen, the, the former uh, chair of the Federal Reserve. But, I mean, again, just Herman Cain, his bio again. 
He worked for Burger King. He um, he got promoted to and, and put in as chairman and CEO of Godfather's Pizza. He served there for a decade. He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He was on the Kemp Commission in the 90s. He was a senior economic advisor to Bob Dole. He was the CEO of the National Restaurant Association. If there's any any trade association in Washington, D.C. that is mindful of economic changes, it's the National Restaurant Association. He's been on the boards of Nabisco and Whirlpool and Reader's Digest. Y'all, he's totally qualified for, for the Federal Reserve. He, even if you didn't care for him, even if you didn't support him when he ran for president, you name it, Herman Cain is eminently qualified to be on the Federal Reserve for, first and foremost because he's already been there. Nobody complained when George Herbert Walker Bush put Herman Cain on the Federal Reserve. It's just that Donald Trump is doing it. I have all the same reservations about Donald Trump I have had forever, even if I'm supporting him in 2020 as opposed to 2016, given given undoubtedly his his progressive opponent, in addition to the things he's done that I like. But just because Donald Trump nominates someone does not make them bad. And we're seeing this poison come through in the Supreme Court as well with Neil Kavanaugh, with um, or not Neil, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. We're seeing this with judicial appointments. We're seeing this with the Democrats refusing to support William Barr as attorney general, even though he was attorney general for George Herbert Walker Bush and had bipartisan support. Even Joe Biden sang his praises. You can only poison this so much. And to say that this person is not qualified because, oh, they 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 support the president. Well, the president is the president. Elections matter. He won. He gets the right to make the pick. And the very same reporters and Democrats who are complaining now were applauding when Barack Obama did the exact same thing, putting people on the Federal Reserve who supported his vision for economics for the country. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth, yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is the better electric toothbrush created by dentists with designers. It was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. In fact, Quip has sonic vibrations that are gentle enough for your sensitive gums, but clean your teeth very thoroughly. People brush too hard sometimes, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive, but Quip is just right. It's even got a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping give a full, even clean. I love my Quip. I've been a Quip user for over two years now. In fact, the last time I went to my orthodontist, just like the time before that, he wondered if I was bleaching my teeth. I'm not. I'm just using my Quip. It's backed by over 20,000 dental professionals, and right now Quip starts for just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. So you get your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Eric. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You know, it is fascinating to me to watch the ever-growing profile of Stacey Abrams on her book tour and now the Democrats championing her cause. Here's Elizabeth Warren. Massive voter suppression prevented Stacey Abrams from becoming the rightful governor of Georgia. They'll fight anyone who tries to stand up and push back. They'll do whatever it takes to stop a full and fair count because they know that there's more that unites us than divides us. 
They know that a durable majority of Americans believe in the promise of America. And they know that if all the votes are counted, we will win every time. You know, they just can't help themselves but delegitimize every time they lose. Here's Bernie Sanders. Today, after the 2018 election, the Congressional Black Caucus now has the largest number of members in its entire history. No small thing. And in that last election, we saw great campaigns run for governor by Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum, and Ben Jealous. Great campaigns. They lost. But Mandela Barnes and Garland Gilchrist became the first elected black lieutenant governors in Wisconsin and Michigan. Real progress. So we have made some progress, but clearly all of us recognize that we have a long way to go to end the institutional racism which permeates almost every aspect of American society institutional racism that permeates almost every aspect of American society. Who was president of the United States from 2009 to 2017? Does anybody remember what race that guy was? Because I'm pretty sure he was black. If we have institutional racism in this country, how did he win? Take Ben Jealous, for example, in Maryland. Uh, who ran against a, a Repu- white Republican. Hillary Clinton won Maryland and Ben Jealous lost. Was it a bunch of Democrats who v- couldn't vote for the black guy? Because it, it doesn't appear to be the Republicans. It appears to be the Democrats who are causing the problem. You know, the Democrats like to concoct these fictions and the media runs with them on these beliefs of injustice and racism, institutional racism in the country, because they can't accept that sometimes the voters just don't like them and throw them out of office. It's sad. The phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to play this a little bit from Joe Biden. He's been film seen around Scranton, um, Pennsylvania, filming videos and also in Delaware filming videos. The suggestion is that he is preparing his announcement videos. He gave a speech today in Washington before a union group. Let me play some audio for you. Look, think about it this way. This is how I think about it, not a joke. And we used to think about it, how my family and my neighborhood thought about it. There is no possibility any of those guys who have been making millions of bucks on Wall Street, doing good work wherever they're doing and doing very well, They could not function without the work you do. Literally, it's impossible to make the country function without what you do. And don't you forget it. Don't you forget what you do. We've gotten so damn sophisticated. We've gotten so damn elitist. Just like I hope you guys understand. When that storm comes and the storm sewers overflowing and some poor suckers out there cleaning it you owe him or her thanks they make life work for us and i hate the way 
Things have changed over the last 15 to 20 years. His message to the Electrical Workers Union is that things have gotten too complicated. People have valued convenience above real-life improvement and that they're being left behind. This is very similar to a message that Donald Trump leveled to to people in the Rust Belt, that they were being left behind by elitist sentiment. They were being put out of work by elitist sentiment, by by, uh, liberal activists in Hollywood who were so convinced they needed to do something about global warming, they wanted to put all the coal miners out of business. Biden has been warning Democrats about this for a while. He's been warning Democrats that they were leaving behind blue-collar workers who they needed as part of their coalition. And Biden actually has made a case internally to the Democrats that they needed them not just for their votes. They needed them for their tempering dynamic. And what I mean by that is that um, progressives tend to live in isolated communities, much more so than conservatives. And as a result, uh, they don't relate well to the other. And Biden has been very insistent to Democrats that if you drive blue-collar voters out of the Democratic coalition, you will lose your ability to relate to an increasingly large part of the population. It'll just be a bunch of white, progressive, rich liberals talking to each other, and that isn't really representative of the United States, which is very, very interesting coming from Joe Biden, a man who worked for uh, Barack Obama, that he would take that position. But the Democrats have got to pay attention to Biden on this. They may not want to pay attention to him, but they're going to have to pay attention to him on it. Um, The other issue here with Biden doing this is that it's also a big signal. This is going to be his message moving forward with the Democrats, that the his argument to the Democrats is that they have lost their way. They have failed to connect with voters who matter. And if they're going to beat Donald Trump, they're going to have to suck it up and sound a little more like Donald Trump. Now, Democrats don't like that. Democrats don't like being told maybe you're going to have to sound a little more like Donald Trump. But Biden kind of intuitively understands that if they want to beat Donald Trump, they're going to have to connect to a segment of the population Donald Trump connected with and stole from the Obama coalition. Biden doesn't like the fact that Obama, that um, that Trump was able to steal people from the Obama coalition. He wants those people back, and he understands that to get it, he's going to have to sound a little more populist than Democrats these days are, are comfortable sounding. Now, the Democrats really do have a problem talking to an increasing number of people as their coalition looks more and more like them. You know, Donald Trump's coalition, for, for all of his faults, Donald Trump has built a coalition that, although it is predominantly white, it is actually very, very diverse. Donald Trump has people within cities and people within rural areas of this country supporting him. The Democrats, more and more... Uh, are a party of rich white people along the coast. And as they have become the rich white people on the coast party with a reliable black voter demographic that they are increasingly ignoring, which is one reason, by the way, that uh, people like Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders are playing up race is they're trying to keep black voters engaged, even hoping that black voters will support a white person in 2020 against, say, a Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or someone or Stacey Abrams. 
they are increasingly a party of coastal elites, which is why they scream more and more about things like the Electoral College and how unfair it is that the Senate uh, doesn't represent the nation as a whole, that Wisconsin has the same vote in the Senate as California does, that they're deeply concerned about these issues of American constitutionalism now that they don't relate to most Americans who live outside of 50 miles of the coast. 